It's Tuesday, April 25th, 2017, and you're listening to episode 441 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is one hour. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Brodor. This is Wayne. My name's Chad. All right, so Brodor, why is it you hate Aisha? Mm. Now, hate? I never said hate. What? I'm oh, sorry. Why are you terrified of Aisha? Did I say terrified? I think I said she scares me. Okay. <laughs> terrified is a whole other level. Well, why, why does she scare you? You know, I, I read the I read the little bit of banter on Facebook, and mm-hmm. I was like, I, I don't think I'm comfortable answering this question in a public forum. I certainly don't think I'm comfortable answering this question on the mics. So here goes. <laughs> It is, and, and I think John Wells said that, that I'm, I'm afraid of a powerful woman. Now, I'm not afraid of a powerful woman. So wait, woman. the I, question is, why are you afraid of Aisha? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, Sorry, I don't use Facebook. So anymore. it's two things. Because, I mean, I married a strong woman. I mean, my, right. my wife's a beast. Bulletproof, right? yeah. Right. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not scared of that, but that woman I, can I, take a bullet. I do six, find, six. <laughs> and, and here we go. Here's, here's Brodor. I mean, I'm going to just bear it all out, right? I am very uncomfortable around attractive women. I just always have been. I'm not confident in that way. And so it's her voice, right? Like, because when you think of somebody, and here we go, when you think of somebody, their image, when you hear their voice, like I'm certain that I do not look like my voice sounds. When I met you guys, most of you did not fit the image of what I had in my head. So in my brain story, in my imagination, I have this image of Aisha and she's got this strong, dominant, assertive, yet kind of sultry voice. And that's intimidating. And then, and then she's not afraid to call bull on you when you're screwing up on the mics. And so that's like an anxiety that you're like, I don't want to say something stupid or run off or not, not enunciate myself or do something that she has to edit and get in. You know what I mean? So it's the position of authority and the strong voice. Those two things together have painted this image in my mind that there you go. It scares me. Is she holding a riding crop in this image? <laughs> no, there are lines that even Brodor won't cross. <laughs> and, in my head, she has six arms. <laughs> I was about to ask, so does this mean Aisha is your Merylith? Well, I, I'm not going to go that far, but, you know, she's got more than two arms for sure. <laughs> huh. Uh, uh, now that we have that important <laughs> bit out of the way. All right, I got some stuff here on Fear the Con 10. Got some details for any of you that are coming, which I know is every person hearing the sound of my voice right now. Just a reminder, the dates for the main con, Friday, June 23rd, and Saturday, June 24th. There are six gaming slots over two days. There is no charge at the door. All right, there's no ticket fee. Just walk in. The kick, Pretty much. The Kickstarter You covered. have to wear pants. Yes. Yeah. Well, what if you're wearing a kilt? Wear pants. <laughs> the Kickstarter covered everything that needed to be covered, so there is no charge at the door. They're going to open the doors to the gaming areas at 8.30 in the morning, uh, start gaming at 9 a.m., and then the games will go until 11 p.m., and this is on both Friday and Saturday. So a couple other highlights. There will be a worldwide wing night on Thursday, June 22nd. It will be held at 6 p.m. Location will be on site, so at the Drury where the con is being held. The exact location is yet to be determined. Mikey Mason will be performing again at the wing night. Will he be wearing pants? Yes. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be wearing Alan Moore's beard. <laughs> huh. 
And that will be on Thursday, June 22nd at 8 p.m. So at 8 p.m. in the wing night, Mikey will be doing his comedy routine. And if you've not seen that before or not familiar with Mikey, you are missing out. And if you've seen him before, then I ain't got to explain it. There's going to be a con suite stocked with snacks available throughout the convention. Oh, we made that. Cool. Yeah. A couple changes from previous years. Alcohol will not be provided, so you can bring your own drinks. But one, you must be of age. And two, please drink responsibly. The note they gave me here specifically says, Adam Gottfried will kick you out. So <laughs> if you've ever met me and you know that I'm like 6'3 and I'm 200 pounds, Adam's bigger than I am. Yeah, Adam, Adam will succeed at this. Yeah. Unless you're like Noble not, Bear, but he doesn't drink. I don't right, think so. Right. And Noble Bear's a cool guy and very gentle. So Adam's not self-admitted and he will destroy you. So, so I haven't verified it with them, but in the Drury itself tends to do a two-drink voucher when you have a room. So if you book a room, you may be able to get vouchers, but don't hold me to that because I haven't verified with the jury. If that's the case, I predict a sort of black market trade in vouchers, <laughs> vouchers. from the non-drinkers and drinkers. So yeah, so just behave yourselves, keep it to the legal age and all that kind of stuff. I think I'm going to get a hotel room. <laughs> So that I don't have to worry about getting a cab or somebody driving me home or something. Well, if you want me to terrify you further, I'm thinking about flying Aisha down here for the con. Nice. <laughs> With her riding crop. With her riding crop <laughs> in one of her six arms. She'll be we waiting get, for you in your room. Yeah. We can't afford to get all six arms through <laughs> you airports. Know what, so. You know what I'm going to do? At some point here, I am going to do like bonus episode or negative episode where we get a webcam and we get an artist on the show. And we're going to do like a police sketch sort of thing where I want Brodor to describe step by step what he thinks Aisha looks like until we have a drawing. Uh, and then six arms, tail, yeah. rattle, fangs, so, riding crops. Right, so people will meet me for the first mm -hmm. time. And, you know, we, we develop friendships. And then ultimately they meet my wife. And I don't know. I have not encountered anyone who says that's exactly who I expected you to marry. <laughs> because every, everybody thinks that my wife has tattoos up and down mm -hmm. her arms and purple has bangs and five kids glasses. And yeah, pound, yeah, yeah. They think that she mm -hmm. is as hard-charging and self-hating and abusive to their body as I am. They five think she kids. has uh, summer teeth. <laughs> some are there, some aren't. Five kids by six yeah. fathers. Yeah. Yeah. So, the charity, for the first time, the charity will be directly benefiting one of our own. All money raised at the charity will be going to Pat and Beth to help with the treatment costs for Pat's pancreatic cancer. This is the first time in Fear the Con charity that the money has gone to directly benefit one of our own. And not veteran puppies. and Yes, just Pat. But you know what? Well, I always wonder, well, how can Derek up this enough? I know, right? Did uh, Derek yeah. actually give Pat cancer? I've never... To, take, to step up his game, that's what it took. Because, you know, I've never actually met any of these orphaned veteran war puppies. Yes. But that love America. <laughs> Wait, that makes me Dennis Leary. Because there's no cure for cancer? Yeah. Yeah, because, what, yeah. you're taking Pat's place? Yeah. yeah. You're not taking Pat's place. Okay. No. You're just warming his seat. Uh, oh. <laughs> I'd warm his seat. That's All right. right. So, so the charity <laughs> game. Biscuits. The charity game is going to run from midnight Friday to Saturday at 4 a.m. And if you buy in, you will buy in for 20 bucks. This is for the charity game, by the way. General gaming's free. This is 20 bucks to play, 60 bucks if you want to actually make your own character. 
There are going to be three level tiers, low, medium, and high. There's a whole bunch of info on this. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. If you want to participate in the charity game and you want to help out, once again, all the money is going to go directly 100% to help with Pat's cancer treatment, then I'll put a link in the show notes where you can find more information and sign up for the event. There will be pre-con tourism, booters and shooters. That's the outing where they take people out to a firing range. And if you're into guns, they swap them around. If you're not into guns, they'll be willing to teach you some safety stuff. And if you're not from America, here's your chance to shoot a gun. So that's going to be on Wednesday, June 21st at Sharpshooters at St. Louis. If you want to attend that contact. Is that the barbecue place? I don't know. Is it on Gravoy? Why, why would there be a shooting range in a barbecue place? Dude, it's real. Real? About a couple miles from my house is a shooting range, gun store, and barbecue place. So it's like a- you can literally go in, get some barbecue, eat it, and then walk through a door and the shooting range is right there. They have these barbecue Man, gun shooting should, packages. They should just put it all together. Like, they did. Like no, I mean, like pick your own lobster. You're gonna get people excited, and it won't be that place. I, well, you know, if it's not that place, well, maybe it should be. A, maybe it should be. Hey, you know, I live a couple miles from it. I can go there every day if I want to. So, all right. So, if you want to get in on that, you want to contact Sergeant Dan, not me, but Sergeant Dan, not Lieutenant Dan. And I will link to his profile on the forum so you can get in touch with him or shoot him a PM. And last of all, as of right now, there's no other precon tourism set up. But if you want to come do the city museum, the arch, any of that kind of stuff we've done in the past, go see the zoo, whatever. That's not to say it can't happen. I will make myself available. Adam has said he will make himself available. All you need to do is email Adam Gottfried. Get something else I'll put in the show notes. But his email address is thealmightybear at gmail.com and just put FPC Tourism in the subject line. Once again, all these links in the show notes. So there you go, folks. There is your Fear the Con update. Today's topic, anger. Brodor thinks I'm very angry today. You are angry today. <laughs> at nostalgia in particular, yeah, that's not today's not. topic. <laughs> I'm, I'm always angry at nostalgia in general. But I don't think I'm particularly angry today. I mean, some spun you up. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but some spun you up. No, no, no. You son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you definitely, like, it reminded me of Shades of... Chad, like 2005. I thought you were saying Shades of Grey. Shades of Chad 2005 when the phone conversations would come up. The iPhone versus Android. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, when you said cell phone conversations, I thought you meant the more recent The more recent. Oh, those. Yeah, I was going to say, those get me real spun up. (laughs) So, all right. Goddamn cell phone. Why did you get a cell phone, Brodor? I've lost respect for you. I know. Everyone everyone hates me. I buckled on Facebook. I bought a cell phone. Hell, apparently I'm going to get a Twitter account. What? No, you answered the the question. The Twitter account is no longer a standing Uh, threat. I will shamefully and begrudgingly admit that the cell phone and the Facebook page have both already come in handy. Brodor, I want you to know that I have gained a huge amount of love and respect for you since you got the cell phone and the Facebook page. First of all, because it brings you into the 21st century. And secondly, because like in a pack of dogs, 
you bowed your head to the alpha. <laughs> and so see, I'm that, happy, wow. I'm see happy that, for you that having right that's there. why you're mad at me. Yes, yeah. That's why I'm mad. See, I'm happy for you having it, but you gave it too soon. Yeah. I wanted to see what his nuclear option was that he was saving. Well, if you listen to the episode, it's not cool. And in fact, I, I seriously think that our friendship would be compromised. <laughs> he was going to connect with my mother via Facebook as me and begin the healing process. <laughs> oh, oh, that would have been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Not cool. There, Not was, cool there were some other steps along yeah, the way. invited her to fear the cop. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Dude. You, you could have just reported the account as a fake account. Well, there was talk of my brother doing that. And then one of my friends was going to do it as well. Mm. I had a plan for that too. <laughs> If you think I had not thought through all these contingencies. Well, it's neither here nor there. I've buckled. <laughs> I have a cell phone. It's on silent right now, so it doesn't disturb the recording. That's great. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's wait till you get on it during a game. Then that's when the real self-loathing starts. Yeah. We're still Russian mafia at my house, man. Mm-hmm. You, <laughs> you put you it come in. into the game room. Hey, your phone goes in the cardboard box. Yep. As of now, we institute that in our game. I'm the only one who does it. No, I put mine over on there. Occasionally you do, yes. All right, so here's today's topic, the real one. Rodor, this is kind of a weird one for Fear the Boot to talk about because we usually push so hard in the other direction. But you and I have both been called out on this, all right? So I want to give the topic, and then I'm going to back up and and set it up a bit. The topic is games with too much RP or not enough combat. All right, let me explain why this is a topic because this is so antithetical to so much of what we've talked about on the show. And the reason we've done that is not because any of us have anything against combat in a game, at least not to the best of my knowledge. In fact, I quite enjoy it. But it's more because of the fact that if you look at the average role player, average role playing game, the combat's already worked out in there. You don't typically have to teach a role player to bite a monster, to roll a random encounter chart, whatever it is that's appropriate to the game that you're playing. That's already a staple of the story. And usually it takes a gamer a little bit more training or self-examination or socialization with other gamers or whatever to start looking into the story side of things. Stop using combat so heavily or as such filler. But you and I have both run games. And in fact, yours is your current game. Now, mine's not my current game. Where we've gotten complaints from our players because we'll go through three, four, five, six sessions, and there is no action, no violent action. Okay, it's not to say nothing's happening. There's all this conversation, character exploration, setting development, and stuff that, you know, the players aren't even necessarily disliking. But if you look at the overall pace of the story, there is no combat in there whatsoever, and they eventually hit that point where they're kind of like, all we've done is talk, can we kill something? That's exactly what happened with my group, my regular once a month, fifth edition D&D group. At the beginning of our most recent game session, we sat down at the table. We'd try to loosen up and get all the BS and banter out of the way before we really start the game. So that sort of built into the time frame. And we were talking and my players all said, look, we want to talk to you about the game. And I was like, oh man, I'm really shitty with criticism, <laughs> but, but here we go. They said, look, we love the game. We really like our characters. We really like the story. We're all very we much invested want, in this game. We just want someone else to run it. <laughs> <laughs> and and we, we wish that we could play more than once a month. But we got to tell you, we are itching to exactly that, to kill something. We just want 
to throw some dice and fight some monsters and test our skills against them and prevail and gain loot or whatever, right? But they were just, they're hungry for a break in the narrative for just a fight, right? The problem that I have with that is the direction the campaign has gone at this point, a combat encounter doesn't make sense. So I pitched the idea of why we fight. What is the purpose behind the combat for the story itself? I understand mechanically and gamist-wise why combat exists and why combat is entertaining, but in the game, I just don't want to have an arbitrary, oh, well, the orcs raid the village, huzzah, let's go charge, you know, challenge them on the field of battle, because that's not interesting. So I started racking my brain about ways that, okay, well, what makes sense in the world? What would be interested in approaching the party with combat as its only option for conflict resolution with this group of characters. You know, I think about movies, right? Movies, you have an Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie and you saw the previews, you go in and you're sitting down and that's what you want. And there is not one single action scene. That's not to say you can't have an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that has a good plot, a good story, right. and good dialogue, and all this world building, all this character building, and all this great stuff, but... You thought you were there for Predator, and you showed up to twins. Right. <laughs> and, but we are brothers! <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I see many, many role-playing games. Now... On yeah, the, not just Dungeons & Dragons. Right, not just Dungeons & Dragons. I mean, Dresden, for example, yeah. I would want to fight Absolute, in that as well. Absolutely. Right. And the opposite is true, too. I mean, there's a lot of niche games where you go and it's... I'm trying to think of a movie where there's absolutely no action in it whatsoever. You know, some teen romance drama just pulling something out of my ass, right? If suddenly there's a gunfight and a car chase... Now, hey, maybe you like gunfights and car chases, but you kind of didn't show up for that. And it's kind of like, why in the hell there's is no here? shootout that I'm aware of in the fault in our stars. Right. Nor <laughs> do you want one in that? It, I would, but I'm well, a sick man. But you wouldn't show up right. for that. Now, here's my thing with that, right? So I'm not anti-combat. I think that combat is totally, it's not even appropriate. It's, it's totally necessary, depending on which quote unquote movie or game you're going into. My issue is why is it that combat's kind of the default why is there violence in almost every single game why do we I think have to a have a different episode <laughs> right i mean like why do we have to kill things when i make a character and i sit down to a game why is the expectation whether i'm running it or playing it 99 of the time is gonna die and we are gonna kill it I would say it's based on the genre and the type of thing you're looking at. If you run a superhero game, yeah. superheroes fight. That's right. part of the genre. If you run a big fantasy game, mm-hmm. fighting is part of the fantasy genre. I can't think of a fantasy story that doesn't have some form of fight. I can think of somewhere that has not a lot, but it is something that typically comes with those genres. And most role-playing games, most, obviously there's a lot that cover everything, fit under a genre. There's a sort of storytelling thing, I'm not sure how to what to call it, where every story is about conflict. You know, it's the whole man sure, versus himself, right. man versus nature. Right. And, and I get that. I totally agree with that. I think that games should reflect that. There should be conflict in games. But conflict doesn't have to be physical. Right. Violence. Why does, in again, 99% of games out there, why is killing motherfuckers well, and part it's of funny it? because in my current 5th edition D&D game, and, and you're right, I sold him a Schwarzenegger action movie, mm-hmm. and there has been, in my defense, 
plenty of action. There just hasn't been action recently. Right. However, there has been very recent conflict and mm-hmm. conflict resolution through debate, yeah. diplomacy, espionage, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. But when running Dungeons and Dragons, I, I've sort of I sort of turned my back on on my own original philosophy that a good D and D game is 50 50 50 50 RP and 50 50 fight. Right. Yeah. Those levels change yeah. with group and game master yeah. stuff. And it. Yeah. That's but I'm, cool. I'm a firm believer, though, because just you evolve as a storyteller, you evolve mm-hmm. as a gamer. I'm a firm believer in that there has to be a reason for the fight. I fucking yeah. hate the random encounter. Right. You know, I mean. In some situations where we're traveling across this particular land and this thing is a danger, mm-hmm. running into you know enemies or scouts for the enemy army or all, that all makes sense. But I don't want to have a bullshit fight mm-hmm. just for the sake of a fight because let's just play a different game that just we're going to fight yeah. and then we'll go back to our role-playing you know, game. All right, bro, let me start by saying that I am completely in agreement with you that I think combat is an important element of most games, all right? Mm-hmm. And the reason that I say that is because, Chad, as you noted, all stories are fundamentally about some kind of conflict. Mm-hmm. Man versus himself, man versus man, man versus nature. You know, you can run down the whole literary list of the, right. you know, man versus whatever. Combine that with a hero's journey, and you've got most role-playing games. Right. And the fact is that we are creatures that understand ourselves in terms of conflict. I think it is only natural if you look at our history of storytelling, we as a species, I'm not talking about we're violent people. Yeah, we're a violent species. I was about to say, forget about our history of storytelling. Look at our history. Yes, actual history. Most conflicts throughout history end up in violence. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't think I need to chase that too far down the right. rabbit trail. But I think my point here is simply to draw together that between the catharsis from human nature that we get through role-playing games, or release, right, that we get through role-playing games, the ability to explore and express things that we can't or shouldn't in our daily lives, I think there is already some of that there. And I think, as you accurately observed, there's also the matter of what you come into the game in terms of having your expectations. You know, this is what you want out of the game. If you were to sit down and play a game of Battletech where you never saw a mech, I think some people would be okay with that if it was a good game. I think other people would feel like sure. they got cheated out. All right, now, yeah, that's your Arnold Schwarzenegger movie without sure. but machine guns. Brodor, I completely agree with you that there has to be narrative context to it for me. I am not a big fan of any combat that happened simply because somebody felt it was time for it. There's been too much time between yeah, the We last. haven't had a fight in a while, so you walk around the corner for no particular reason, just because of the nature of what they are or some really... A fun- meta reason. I mean, essentially, that's what it is. Yes. We're telling a story. We're telling a plot here. Part of that story has action and combat and killing, and that's great. We love it, and that's what we signed up for. But suddenly, we are pulling out dice. We're pulling out rule books. We're pulling out all this, not because... It happened in a natural flow that integrated in with the story, and it's all part of this masterful story we're telling. It happened for a meta reason, because somebody rolled some dice, because somebody was getting bored, because somebody had a glazed-over look in their eye. Well, fine. 50 goblins attack you. Pick up some dice, motherfuckers. It's like, "Eh, that's not a good story. Now, there are people in games that will make that happen. Yes. We've all seen the guy at the table that's like, okay, I'm bored. I'm going to go pick a fight. What Game Master here has not made that happen in their game. Sure. 
But, where you give the players the stick. Uh, yes. <laughs> but I think what I'm saying... I wish you could communicate that look on your face. <laughs> this look of glee. It's like, oh, I gave those f***er the stick. <laughs> yeah, bitches. There are so many things that I have done in my past <laughs> as a game master that there's a cognitive dissonance because at one time I am truly ashamed of them. Right. And then another part of me takes just complete and utter joy and glee. <laughs> but I want there to be a narrative context of the combat i want to understand why it's happening i want it to feel like it was purposeful that it was not just something tacked on now let me caveat that a bit to say that random acts of violence they happen they are a part of existence they happen you can not our existence but (laughs) you you can be walking down the ivory tower street and have somebody attack you for no reason in my personal experience when you know somebody tries to kill you it's somebody that you used to work with (laughs) (laughs) but too soon (laughs) no (laughs) but i think even then i still want some kind of sense that for the game master this was purposeful that there was something being done here to illustrate a point about the world to you know what i always like dan when you run skies of glass you do the lead up to the combat so well it just fires on all cylinders for me because in skies of glass the combat is so lethal and damaging where dan presents this right he presents this and you know it and it's not a question in anybody's mind and here comes a thing where if we follow this path as players there's going to be a fight and in every violent role-playing game out there it's just like down this path well let's start running give me a horse we're going to get down there and get into our fight but in skies of glass when dan runs it the players stop and they're like is this something we want to risk What is the benefit of doing this story-wise? In character, are we sure we want to get into this fight? Dan never scares you away. He never says, oh, I'm the boogeyman and I'm going to fuck you in this fight. It's you as a player in character do this sort of cost-benefit analysis like, man, we really want this objective. We really want this thing or we really want to do this or we really want to stop them. We're going to get hurt. People are going to die and that's going to be bad. Is it worth it? And you have, oh my God, that makes such a great role-playing thing. And Dan is a great game master in that he gives you the out. He does not have 50 goblins run over you in Skies of Glass well, and make that happen. You you have alternatives and multiple ways of approaching you know, And that is something else that I wanted to bring up is the tyranny of choice. Mm-hmm. Because... Even in games where combat is not as lethal or is not as irreparable as it is in Skies of Glass. All right. So you just have your bago hit points or whatever that, you know, it, it, the yeah, combat's your shin kicking. Your sh- yeah. And the combat's not that big of a deal, right? Or it's, it's an expected part of the mechanic of the game, mm-hmm. whatever, right? But this is something you can engage in without really risking a whole lot. But I have found that many of those games, because I'm a big believer in the complexity and the plausibility of the non-player characters. And so I like the idea that they have some kind of motivation, Mm -hmm. that even the person that's just going to attack you because he's drunk, because he wants to rob you, whatever, there's a story behind that. And if I haven't created it before that moment, I might be in my head on the fly Mm -hmm. trying to remember a real story I heard somewhere, and and this person's taking on that depth. But... I want there to be some kind of sense to it. 
Now, what ends up happening, though, is so the players, when confronted with that, they start to see other options. So they start to look at this and say, well, you know, we don't have to kill this person. Mm -hmm. We can talk to this person. We can persuade this person. We can evade this person. We can make the town guard arrest him rather than us getting our hands dirty in it. And they start opting for those. But then what happens is then over time, they start to feel like the story's missing its beats, right? Mm -hmm. They love the RP. They love what's going on. But that out, you know, that desire for violence, that desire for whatever isn't getting met. And so suddenly they come back at me and say, well, (laughs) you're not... I'm going to be like old Boohoo Dan, right. but I'm just saying that this is the conversation I've had with some yeah, of my gaming it's, groups. It's like a cycle where they're like, we're not seeing any combat. And I'm like, well, you realize you could have fought this yeah. person, this person, this person, this person, this person. I've had that exact conversation with Dan multiple times. I've seen it happen. And I love how Wayne deals with that problem when Wayne is running a game, because what Wayne does is he has that depth of NPC, right? You know, they have the motivations and all that sort of stuff. And Wayne does the same thing. You know, he gives you an out. He gives you a path. You can see it coming. You don't have to stand in front of the track. Something, bam, 50 goblins kill you. You make the decision. It's like, okay, well, we can fight him or we can talk to him. All those options are on the table. But Wayne makes his bad guys such sons of bitches. (laughs) (laughs) Where... We have had the conversations like, well, how should we do this? And, and well, maybe, you know, maybe we just give them their patch and leave them alone. Or, or maybe we, we rally people against them and drive them out. It's like, and no, the consensus around the table is like, that motherfucker's got to die. I mean, he just needs killing. That's all there is to it. Just look at his face. I know, right? I mean, it's... <laughs> maybe that's the problem. You, just, for you don't have guys who just need killing. Yeah, honestly, I mean, all, seriously, all jokes aside, maybe that is part of my problem is I, as a game master, have too sympathetic of a view mm-hmm. of my villains. And therefore, I present them, in turn, mm-hmm. as characters that to the players appear to at least, I mean, maybe not completely sympathetic. Sure. Maybe these are people that are making bad choices, but you understand them well enough that killing's no longer easy. Killing's no longer the obvious and only choice. you want me choice. to tell you how you present bad guys? Sure. So, in your games, you're a very defensive player. You're very, and I mean that in the game of life, right. in in RTSs and games. Absolutely, you're, you're very, you yes. you do layers of defense. So you have a bad guy, and your bad guys are not one note villains, snidely whiplash types, but you still build layers around them. You don't want the PCs to come in and pop them in the head first thing in the game. But other than that, the layers you build is story. So PCs, us as players in your game, before we even see the bad guy, we hear a story. We hear part of his story. And as we go, we get layers and layers of his story before you actually meet him. Now, somewhere in those layers, the villain might make an appearance or come on screen or do something. It's usually a flip because the layers are not all the same color, right? They're nuanced. Dan builds multifaceted villains. So you're going through the layers of the story and you, you're thinking one way and then something big will happen. And then all of a sudden, your perception of the villain it's altered, and then the layers are like a different color. They're a different nuance. And then you start going through more of the story until you get until that happens a couple of times. And then you get to the villain where you started at A, and you're like, this son of a bitch needs to die. And then you get to Z, and then there's the villain, and you're like, hey, man, why don't you come with us? <laughs> <laughs> 
we got this ship and we got these guns and you're okay, dude. You know, it's usually not quite that black and white. And, but. and I suspect that in the party, there are varying degrees of that perspective yes. among yes. the characters because some of my favorite moments, me ever game mastering are when my players are literally divided down the table. Yep. Half the party wants to kill the villain or the NPC for whatever reason. And the other half of the party is willing to take up arms against their friends to defend said. I've NPC. also seen it where people who have different player backgrounds approach it differently. You have the traditionalist D and D I'm saving the princess from the dragon and the evil wizard is the bad guy. And that is black and white and set in stone. And so they go on this path and they get to Z, right? They get to the villain and they're like, okay, I agree. Everything you said, it's nuanced. We don't have the whole story. And, you know, maybe he's not this evil guy. Maybe he doesn't need killing, but he's the bad guy. That's the, that's the formula. I have to kill him. And then you get the other part of the group who plays a different style of game. And I've even seen it to where that side of the table kind of gets there. And they're like, no, we can't possibly, we have to talk to him. And then the other side's like, no, he's Hitler, literal Hitler. We're not talking to literal Hitler here. <laughs> See, I go back to the Gnarl game uh, with Avaro. Yeah. Avaro was a very well thought out villain. Well, thank you. Well thought out. NPC, bad, whatever you want to call him, mm-hmm. who was nuanced, who had his thoughts, all of that. My character killed him, not because he was the bad guy. Because you because, were a dick. No, because <laughs> he was pressing my character's buttons. Yes. And it was one of those cases of, he has to die because he's evil. Mm-hmm. It was the party at this point, he's not doing what we thought he was going to do. What is he doing? Some of the party doesn't want to kill him because he's outsmarting us, apparently. Mm-hmm. Some of the party thinks, maybe we can deal with him. And everything he says hits my character's triggers. Yep. So he had to die. You know, that game was about your character. So I highlighted different players. You know, it's like we had the the different chapters and the different chapters were about the different players. But the entire game, the world I built was based around your characters. And that's why he was able to press your butt because it was your concept that built the game. Wayne, I think I heard this from you. I've heard it over the years from multiple sources, but I think I was first introduced to it by you, which is the concept that zombie stories are fundamentally misanthropic, human-hating in nature. That what a zombie story basically represents to some people at some subconscious level. And I'm not saying to all fans of the zombie genre or whatever, right? But I'm just no, saying... No, you're saying all fans. Yes. Zombies. So that is, in fact, what I'm saying. Yes. But... There's there's a catharsis to it. Well, that, it, there's a catharsis to it, and there's also a simplicity to it. It's when because, loser nerds get to come into their own and kill things. Well, but more than that, or perhaps in addition to that, <laughs> it's, addition. it's the fact that the masses of humanity, right? So when you go to the mall or you walk down the street, the masses of faceless humanity are basically now just clear and morally mm-hmm. acceptable objects for your wrath yeah. and rage. Specifically, yep. they are just diseased monsters that are there to be put down. Do you know what a mall ninja is? Yes, the mall cop who... No, no. No? No, that's a mall cop. Mall ninjas... You ever go to a mall and they have, like, a knife store? And I don't mean, like, survival. Oh, it's the, yes. They have, like, racks yeah. of katanas, and then they have these... Like a cutlery world. Or- yeah, they have these outrageous knives that you would hurt yourself if you actually tried to wield them in a fight. 
zombie stories in general are for the people who walk around at some kind of con and they've got the utility belt. Now, I don't mean a Leatherman. I have a Leatherman. I have a flashlight. I carry that around. I have a little bit of an everyday carry. I'm talking about the people who wear the bat utility belt. And then they have the molly pack on. And then they have the utility kilt. And then they have like 10,000 knives on them. And they have like so much paracord that they could, you know, scale the Empire State Building with it. And they have all this shit. And it is those people that love zombie movies because it is a fantasy that lets them live out all this gear and equipment that they buy for whatever reason. I think it hits multiple fantasies. One fantasy it hits is the end of civilization. Mm -hmm. You have your day-to-day stress, and now that doesn't matter anymore. Precisely. There's a catharsis to that. The grind is over. Yes. That suddenly things take a change. And I've always said the best zombie stories, the zombies are just the setting. Sure. But yeah, you have your outlets of violence, things like that. All right, here's my point. Here's the point I'm trying to make with that. That to some people, the attraction of a zombie story is its moral simplicity and its moral clarity. Because, once again, for some subset of those people, the moral simplicity and the moral clarity allows people to act out certain impulses that would otherwise be inappropriate or immoral. Like killing people. Bingo. Shooting your neighbor in the face because he's a dick who throws (laughs) trash in your yard is morally and legally unacceptable. Shooting your neighbor in the face because he has an incurable disease. He got bit. I'm doing him a favor. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It was by the dog. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, this this is something that's a very different kind of story, right? Mm -hmm. And I wonder if to some extent... In creating characters that have that kind of depth, in creating stories that have that kind of depth. Well, I think you're right. Because and I'm not trying to pat ourselves on the back here, but I'm just saying that when we set out to do that, we paint ourselves into a corner because maybe the players want a moment of moral simplicity. Right. And we've taken that away from them. You know, even if you say like straight up traditional D&D, because you can run D&D any way you want to. But, like, traditional D&D where you have the evil wizard and the dragon and save the princess Something with pure alignment where there are creatures who are, they are evil because that is their nature of being evil. You have to kill them because they're evil and they do evil things. They literally eat humans. So that's the problem, I think, with my current game is that there is not someone with a sign above their door that says, I'm the bad guy, come kill me in my sleep and take my shit. (laughs) that NPC does not exist at this point in the game. And so much like you were describing, Dan, in your Skies of Glass and other games where you're game mastering, there are just characters who have different perspectives. They might have political or social opinions that the PCs don't particularly care for, but no one is obviously a threat on that level that they have yeah. to well, and draw blades and, also, and, and spell books. Let's go back to that Skies of Glass game that Chad was alluding to earlier. One of the things that I did in that, that I think in the context of this conversation, I think it was right for that game, but I can see where I'm creating the issue. I'm creating mm-hmm. my own problem. You guys ended up being taken prisoner by a group of raiders. It's a particular subset of a type of raider in that world, or bandit, or whatever, that exists by preying upon more stable society. These are basically the wolves forever at the gate. They are looking for a moment of weakness. They are looking for an opening. They're looking for a caravan that's lost its way. 
They go in, they kill, they maim, they loot. These these are terrible and remorseless people that are just a plague upon any land where no one is strong enough to stop them. And you guys got taken prisoner by them and came to find out that they were being run by a rather sociopathic, if not outright psychopathic, old lady. Oh, I liked her. But, well, and here's, and at one I point. I blew her up, but I liked what? her. And it took you to pull the trigger on that rocket launcher, yes. because when you guys got the rocket launcher, I think at first, if memory serves, Pat had it. Yeah. And she, you knew where she was staying. She was staying in a tent in the middle of their camp, and you guys had managed to escape, and on the way out, you guys had managed to loot one of their weapon boxes and mm-hmm. take this rocket launcher out of it. Pat's getting ready to pull the trigger, and as he's looking down the scope, she's sitting there having story time with the tribe's children. Yeah. And suddenly this took away all the moral clarity that mm-hmm. had been there 30 seconds before. Right. Within the context of that game and mm-hmm. that group and what the group wanted out of that game, it worked well. Yeah. And Chad, it took you as a hardened bastard yes. to say, <laughs> I'm going to wait until the kids are gone. Mm-hmm. And then she's going to be yep. landing across three states. <laughs> but if I look at my games in general, mm-hmm. you know, I can see where I do that to myself, where my players want that moment of moral clarity. They want that story beat where they can let off some steam, where they can kick somebody's ass. And in a way, I make them feel bad about it, you put, which is not what they want. <laughs> they don't want to feel oh, guilty. Oh, I want it. I want it. I want it because you know how John says... For a game to feel real to him, there has to be danger, right? Where there there has to be character death and there has to be risk. And I get that. For me, for a game to be real, there has to be legitimate emotion. And that's what I love about your games. You put one facet too many on your bad guys. (laughs) (laughs) And you make them just a little too real so that everyone else is just like... I. I can't. I mean, if this was like a werewolf eating children, I could do it. But no, it's she's the matriarch of the tribe. and She's the grandma. She's the grandma. Yeah. And for my character that I was playing, he had been blinded by these is. He had a fake eye. And there was this whole backstory where he was a little more hardened than the rest of them. And it was like this counterpoint where I even put it in her name. Yeah. The, the lady that was leading that tribe. She was the family matriarch. Mm-hmm. Now, there were multiple families in there, but it originally started from one extended, you know, sort of hill clan right. that that had grown over time and absorbed other people and absorbed other families and such. But I even put it in her name because this old widowed grandmother's name was Ma Carver. Mm-hmm. And so I even put that contradiction yeah. right there in her name. Mm-hmm. That, you know, she's... Just one facet too many, man. Just, yeah, <laughs> just that, one... You know, she's... <laughs> She's right off the mm-hmm. Beverly Hillbillies. Right. This, this is Ma, right? Yeah. yeah what's this? Dude, she's reading stories and baking pies, but she's also Ma Carver. Dude, you put her in a fucking rocking chair when she was reading to the kids. I mean, come on. <laughs> when she was deciding to torture you guys right. to death or not, yeah. she was doing it in a rocking chair. The clan would have killed them and eaten them. Like, literally eaten them and fed them to their children and all the rest of the party. I mean, it was, a, it was such a great game because everybody hated my character. Yeah. I mean, they just hated my character because at one point 
my character, who was a vet, mm-hmm. was the closest no, thing no, to a doctor. Not veterinary. Veterinary. No, veterinary. I got you. Closest thing to a doctor we had. I stabilize an is that had been shot with a uh, with an arrow, mm-hmm. and I go through all these roles. I finally get it. I have that moment of yeah, I got to stabilize. Chad walks up, grabs the arrow, twists it in the guy's leg, and kills him. Yep. Because my character, it, it was a great juxtaposition. We had these young people who I think they're like 18 or so, and they lived in the town, the protected town that, I mean, they, they may have gotten raided, but they banded together and fought off raiders. And they were, as a relative safety, had a amount of food and stuff. My character was on the outskirts, on, on a farm. And the raiders and all the harshness of life, he didn't have any of that protection. He had killed people before and he was only like 16 or 18 years old. These guys had never killed anybody before and they wanted to be mercenary. We're all childhood friends. It's like, okay, we're going to live the adventurous life and we're going to be mercenaries and we're going to be like guard caravan guards and we're going to see the world. It's going to, it's like all that, that thing when young people join the army, they're going to, you know, I'm going to see the world and it's going to be great until the horrors of war set it. My character had already been through that. And my character was constantly berating him. It's just like, hey, let's go take this and we'll be caravan guards. Like, you do know you'll have to kill people. Can you pull the trigger? He always asked that. He's like, when the time comes, can you do it? It changes you. And my character made those hard choices. He was not good. He was not in the right. And he did things like that. He had the smarts enough. Like, he was the one who was able to evade the patrol that captured them and was able to set them free. Then again, he didn't have like a certain amount of humanity. The guy who had the arrow in him, they talked to him. They made a deal with Dan's layers, right? He's just a dude. He's a bad guy. And then you start talking to him and then there's these layers. And then now he's a person and Dan puts one facet too many. It's a survival game. We expend resources to heal him and stabilize him and save his life. My character was not in the room when this happened, and he walks in, and it's just like, there's an animal I'm putting down in the most painful way I can, because his heart is so cold and black. It was a great game. It was a really great game. And everybody in character and out of character hated my character, (laughs) justifiably so. It was great. So, Brodor, I think that's my problem right there. I, I think I need to add back at least some people. To which there is a better moral simplicity, moral clarity. What sometimes, do you, sometimes I don't intend to like change yeah. everything about my games, but it's just a little bit of salt I need to put in there. Hmm. What do you think it is in your games? Why is it that more stick? So if this is the first time that I have ever run a game where combat is a regular option, a game like a Dungeons and Dragons, or it's the first time my players have ever come to me and said. Hey, this is great, but we just want some mindless, you know, R-O-L-L playing. Right. And so I, I think that's precisely just looking at it through the course of this conversation. I think that's precisely what has occurred here is that everything that they have done over the last several game sessions have been larger scope. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been similarly opportunities where this encounter with the NPCs could go one way or the other, but they've always slid toward the direction of cooler heads prevailing and negotiation and diplomacy. 
and a little bit of, mm. you know, subterfuge. But ultimately, they've been presented with an opportunity for there to be a fight, and they have decided that's probably not the right course of action here. They were persuaded by the NPCs, or through the course of that particular encounter, they realized we're actually scared of these NPCs. I can think of one example in particular where that occurred, where I was prepared mechanically for the encounter to be a fight, and the players decided, no, let's not do this because we might yeah. get our asses kicked. I wonder if time is also a factor here. I was because thinking this that is exact a thing. monthly game. Like if it's every week, you can go longer without something like yeah. that. And they right. si- see. I was thinking about that. I was going to bring that up. Like, let me present this to you from the view of your players because you have a different view of it. Mm-hmm. You have this grand scope for you. It's this big arc, and it's great. For your players, they signed up for the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie with a lot of plot and story. I mean, right. just not like, you know, guns blazing. For them, you said it's been about five or six sessions that since they've had combat. It's probably been five, yeah. That's five, five months. months. Yeah. That's half a year. Yeah. They're playing D&D. This isn't like some indie <laughs> game where it's like all squishy and let's talk about our feelings here. You have gone half a year without rolling dice they had to roll their stats they had to assign them they had to meticulously pick out spells and equipment and feats and skills and it's D. 99 of everything on their character sheet is revolves around killing and fighting no matter what class you are and so for half a year they've been staring at this tool they have a hammer you have not presented them with a nail. Give them the meta orcs attack town for no reason. Yeah, no, I think they're going to explode. No, I think that's absolutely that's absolutely fair criticism. In the past, it's never been a problem, but in this particular game, it's just gone that way, mm-hmm. where a fight just didn't make sense. Right. Fortunately, I do have a combat encounter planned for them, and I don't have to shoehorn it into the into the overall narrative mm-hmm. or meta plot of the game there have been seeds planted that this is a potential nemesis or villain and so as opposed to doing it when i was planning you know further down the road i'm just going to spring that now and have that particular and, group of villainous npcs be proactive as opposed to reactive and when you do it make it epic for them these guys are blue bald for some combat (laughs) don't just have them like roll some drunk villagers in the town guard right and it's interesting too because i mean it's not like the game has not had plenty of fighting because it has it's just you're absolutely right i mean in real world time it's been a very long time and in game it could have been an hour when i run a game these guys were always telling me it's like you know we've been gaming for a year but less than 24 hours have passed in game because I have to be really careful with that. I I have this tendency where I can run a game like the show 24 where every episode (laughs) is one hour. And well, and I actually occasionally throw in days between sessions. They'll come back and say, okay, it's been two days just because I have the same problem. Everything is day by day by day. Cause it shrinks in because we're so focused on the story. It's not that we want to get the story out fast, but story has a lot of different components to it. Story over time is one of them that, at least for me, and and sounds like you, Wayne, really gets thrown to the wayside. You know, there's something here. It's it's related. I don't know if it's directly tied into the way we've been approaching this topic. You're going to start running SOG for me? 
Sure. But <laughs> don't just say that. Man. I'm not don't just saying just that. Say that to me. Don't play with my feelings so, like that. But uh, which we'll talk after we're done recording. But one of the things you need to hit stop. <laughs> one of the things I think it was John who actually sent me this article. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting approach because I know that one of the things that's also kept me from using combat more often is and a putting aside story, character, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, is the concern of real world time that depending on the game, combat can take a very long amount of time. Yes, especially if you play it all the way out to its final conclusion, meaning where everybody's been ground down to their final dying moment on one side or the other, that it just goes <laughs> on and on and on. And the rules are the rules, and all the rules are above board, yeah. and then you have full transparency. And, and no one ever runs away, and the villains never have morale. And uh, uh, Yeah, exactly. You know, uh. Occasionally that can be epic if it's the occasional thing. Look at Superman versus Doomsday. Mm-hmm. That is a fight that had to go the distance. But other than that, yeah. I mean, I'll, I mean that orc that attacked your village, he doesn't want to die, mm-hmm. right? And at some point, if he sees an opportunity, I could run away or die, he might run away. I'll mm-hmm. tell you right now, Mark Harvest forces would have withdrawn if they had known that Chad was siding them down with a rocket launcher. <laughs> <laughs> but, all right, so uh, the article that John sent me, it was from a thing on Reddit called the DM Academy. And this particular article is written by a guy who goes by Mr. Valor. And I'm going to link this in the show notes. All right, so if you want to read this article for yourself and see him explain his ideas. But he has this interesting concept, which is creating a rule of thumb for yourself, which is that every combat... I'm thinking of Boondock Saints now. (laughs) Should go... Should have been the rule of wrist. (laughs) Should go about three rounds. Mm -hmm. All right, now, this is not a hard and fast rule, at least how I would apply it. But a lot of games, as you said, Broder talking about the enemies don't have morale and you know, they do not have a fixed mechanic or a good story mechanism by which combat gets disengaged, especially if the DM's not prepared to blank. This is something that I've tried to when we've talked about in Battletech, how I've tried to play up the older style culture where you pop the right colored flare and the combatants stop. So I mean you can stop the combat well shy of the actual nth end, which would have come out two, three hours of table time later. All right, but what this guy suggests, I assume it's a guy being mister, is go about three rounds of combat, and at the end of the three rounds of combat, you look at what's going on, and if the game master side is clearly losing, find a way to wrap it up. Or maybe that the player side is losing. Find a way to wrap it up. Reinforcements show up. One side retreats. One side surrenders. Something happens that forces the combat. Because look, we've all played the RTS or something like that, where the end is clear. And you can see some civilizations yeah. another game where you see this. Where the end is clear, you know you've won. There's nothing plausibly the enemy can do to rebound. But you still churn through those, yeah. what may be minutes or even hours of just mopping up every last part of the map before it finally gives you the victory. It's a 10-hour game that ended on hour four. Precisely. And I think what he's suggesting is that if you can make the combat fast and meaningful, so within three rounds, you probably have a pretty good idea 
of where this is headed or whatever round that may be. I'm going to add this on. He didn't say this, but I'm going to add this on. Whatever round that may be, don't push it all the way to the end. Have one side give up. Have one side withdraw. Narrate the end of it. Once again, if this is just an idea, and if you're interested in seeing it explained and defended, I will link to his article because this comes from him, not Fear the Boot. Right. But I think he's on to something. I think he's on to, to something worth adding to the toolbox. I will speak to the opposing viewpoint on that. It is a viewpoint that I don't agree with, but I know a lot of people do. There are people, there are groups that just love the combat. And I don't mean that sure. bloodlust and all, I love killing. No, it's, it's a tactical it's, game. Yeah, it's a tactical game. They love the tactics. They love the dice rolling. They love making their characters effective and working with their fellow players and yeah. teamwork. And they don't want it to end in three rounds. They want it to go the distance. And that also doesn't account for a back and forth. Some of the most fun combats I've seen have started off in the first round or two. I thought the party was going to get wiped. And then they came together. They oh. started working together. Things started being laid down. Yeah, there's nothing. And they more... rallied back and won. Yeah, there's nothing more magical than that encounter where the mm-hmm. players think that they're going to lose and that someone's going to sure. die. And then they prevail in the end, and there is much rejoicing. Well, I see that a lot in D and D. Those yeah. first couple rounds, they can skew for one side or the other, but everything can change. Right. And outside of basic human decency, I'm never really going to suggest a one-size-fits-all solution. But after John sent that to me, I thought it you know, it deserved inclusion in the episode just as another option to consider. If your hesitation on including combat, particularly in inorganic, the orcs attack you because orcs are dicks and really no other reason, then I think I'm literally going to have orcs attack the village. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not even, I'm not even kidding because that is, that's a pretty obvious narrative choice in the particular yeah. campaign that I'm running. But, so. but, you know, a way around that, dicks. but a way around that might be if your concern is that this mm-hmm. is going to drag on forever. And that's why I'm not doing it. A way around that might be to look loosen the leash on yourself a bit and find a way to wrap it up faster. You know, like I said, once one side is obviously about to lose, then don't make them grind out those final 10 hit points. And you got to be careful with that, though, too. I mean, if you say that if one side is about looks like it's going to lose, if it's the player side and it's obvious they're going to lose and you say, OK, and then you guys run off. Well, no, we don't. What do you mean? Or, you know, they they give you the option to surrender. F- you and, yeah. you know, well, then you've kind of made a little bit of a red line. I mean, what do you do? Do you, you know? yeah. kill them? Yeah. yeah I mean, at least that's been my answer in the past. <laughs> I'm with <laughs> if you give them the opportunity to back down, you will. And, and they understand the yeah. full picture. Oh, and they understand right? the big right. picture. Yeah. When they're standing, when they're yeah. standing in the enemy prison, they have the guy that they came deliberately to rescue. They have the discussion. Well, let's go get the evil cleric. And the guy they came to rescue who outlevels them significantly says, that guy is dangerous. Some of you will die. And the party says, ah, fuck it, let's go kill him. You crush them, grind them <laughs> into powder. And then you're like, well, that was great. And they're like, well, I guess the campaign's over. I'm like, oh, contraire. The <laughs> campaign continues, and here's why. Each of you must yeah. read a book. And then, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, any which way, I don't want to get All into right. that whole deal. So, this is where we'll wrap this one up. Once again, check the show notes. Lots of links related to Fear the Boot. I'll also link that article that I just referenced in case you're interested in seeing some of this guy's tips and tricks on, on how to handle the speed of combat. Beyond that, thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. You son of a bitch. <laughs>
This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2017. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.